This week, I had an adult submit a picture of a monster that he'd drawn and said, can any child of God win a chance for some pizza? And I said, well, you can submit your, your picture, but no, you can't win the pizza. That's really like the fifth grade and below. And so uh, we are excited today to announce that Will Schrader uh, was the one who drew uh, our monster. I think we got a picture of, that, of his monster, and we drew randomly his name, so he gets the pizza party. So one more week for our children, fifth grade and under, to submit their monster pictures, and so you can do that on our, um, our webpage. And so just a fun way to involve the children in what we're doing uh, just to echo some of what Kevin said, uh, this is a, a week of mixed emotions for us as uh, we see the, the church building on 4411 Sharon Road coming down. And uh, on the one hand, you know, it's sad to see the, the building where we've had baptisms and youth groups and weddings and funerals come down. And, and I know that makes us uh, feel some sadness, but it's also an exciting time. And we've been working for five years to get to this point as we're getting ready to rebuild our campus and we're looking forward to the next 50 to 100 years for our congregation being the anchor, spiritual anchor, spiritual crossroads of our community. And so if you're feeling those mixed emotions, that is completely acceptable and understandable. Uh, but we got to not lose sight that we're rebuilding and doing some awesome things for God. And it's, it's fun to be in the theater in the meantime. Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to be taking the cross off the steeple, and we're going to keep that cross uh, for posterity's sake. Uh, and then Friday, I think it's Friday afternoon, is when the big uh, ski slope uh, steeple uh, is going to be coming down. And so, uh, and then that's going to be it. And then we'll, we'll make plans to start rebuilding. So a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church this week. School's wrapping up for a lot of people uh, this time of year. Uh, my youngest son, Nathan, is uh, going to be finishing up kindergarten this week, and it's kind of bittersweet for us. He's had an awesome, awesome year with a wonderful teacher, and we've enjoyed her sending home uh, weekly newsletters, and we read about what they've learned and what they're getting ready to learn. And she was really big on uh, reading, and so she would encourage us to read books together. We would read to Nathan, he would read to us, and and in the newsletter, she would she would list categories of, you know, when, when a child hit 100 books read or 200 books read and, and that sort of thing, their name would appear in the newsletter. And we'd get all excited and celebrate that with Nathan. And I went to pick him up from school this week and I asked him how his day went. He said it was fun and he was kind of recapping all the things. And, and then he said something that kind of caught my attention that one of his classmates had told him that his classmate's mother had said. And I said, what was that, Nathan? He said, well... His mom said that we cheated, that there's no way that, that we read as many books as we wrote down that were in the newsletter. And so I said, well, Nathan, you know that, you know, we, we did read all those books together. He says, I know. Um, but, you know, what kind of disturbed me was that there's some hate going on in kindergarten <laughs> over how many books a kid has read or not. So his classmates, Bob, saw that we'd read X amount of books and said, there's no way that happened. She says he's telling her son that we've been cheating. And, you know, it just it boggles my mind how even at such an early age, uh, a hater's going to hate, right? And so, uh, you know, kind of steal a line from the song. I've got a, got a picture here of some of the old school haters from the Muppet Show, the old curmudgeons that sit in the balcony. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks in our society who like just to pick on other people and, and find things that are wrong with them uh, and just ultimately end up just, you know, sometimes even really hating them. And so we see that on social media. We see it on responses to comments on online articles. We see it in the news between politicians. And there is a lot of hate out there. And just kind of sad that already in kindergarten, my son's being exposed to some of that. And so we just, we didn't make a really big deal of it. But 
Uh, you know, in our culture, we see it a lot. And we saw it with Roseanne Barr this past week as she had that uh, racist tweet that, you know, ended up getting her and, uh, and all of the people that worked on her show fired and, and lost their jobs. And, and we've seen some, you know, hate on both sides of that going back and forth as people debate. Uh, just before that, there was a, a shooting in the Baltimore, Maryland area where a young white female officer uh, was trying to stop four young teenage African-American boys from, from stealing something. Uh, and one of them allegedly rolled over her in a Jeep and killed her. And horrible, horrible story. And I was looking at some of the, the online comments um, that came up from that and, and just shocking to see some of the actual real hatred that, that's in the world on both sides. And uh, things like this were said. It's time that we just turn the city over to the hoodlums and just let them annihilate themselves. Um, very, very mean, horrible thing to say. Another person writes, I hope all you whites have the same level of outrage next time one of your youths decides to shoot up another school of innocent children. You all are a disgusting group of devils. And so just, you know, hate from white people, hate from black people. And we've seen it reverse when white police officers have shot and killed young African-American teenagers. And it, it, it's just our culture is so full of hatred. And, and we see it with racial hatred. Uh, we see it with political hatred, Republicans and Democrats constantly hating each other. We see it on a national level, America versus every other country in the world. Now we, we hate all these other countries. We, we see it between sexual orientation in our country. It's, that's a big issue right now. And a lot of people hate each other on, on different sides of that whole thing. We, we see it with religious hate, uh, Christians against Muslims or Jews or Hindus or Buddhists. We see it within uh, Catholics against Protestants. We see it within denominations that have split over different issues and hate each other. Even Methodists who hate other Methodists. And, you know, it's just, it's really a sad commentary on our culture and, and, and being an American, being a person in the world today, that there's so much hatred out there and we share it in, in so many different ways. And so, you know, one of the questions I have today is, are you and I, are we capable of that level of hatred? Are we capable of the level of hatred to, to write a comment like I read to you or, or to feel something like that inside of us? We might not say it out loud in front of people, but we'll say it to some of our close friends behind closed doors. And, you know, maybe it's not the racial issue. Maybe it's a political issue or whatever issue it is, but, but that we can identify with that hate. And it might even scare us that, yes, we are capable of thinking things like that or feeling things like that or saying things like that or even taking it a step further and actually hurting someone with our words or, or with our actions. And so, you know, that, that, that creates kind of a tension in me because I've had those feelings. I have those feelings. And, and sometimes I can see myself saying things that would be totally, totally wrong to say as a Christian, as a pastor, and yet they're deep inside of me. So how do we deal with that? And, and how do we avoid becoming haters as much as it's, it's involved in our culture? Can we find some help for that? And the good news today is we absolutely can, that, that God is ready to help us. And, and God has given us a great story, a real-life story in the story of Esther, that we see some extreme hate taken to an extreme measure. And, and how can we avoid falling into the trap that this guy in the book of Esther falls into? And so, yes, there's hope to help curb the hate that we, even as Christians, 
followers of Jesus feel and experience and express in our own lives. And so let's look at Esther and see what's going on and see what God might be wanting to teach us today. So we're about 480 years before Jesus is born. Uh, there's a, a ruler of the, of, the, of the world in the Middle East where the people of Israel are now and over, kind of over everything. And his name is Xerxes. Uh, he's a Persian ruler and, and he's a king. And he thinks a lot of himself. And he tried to parade his wife in front of uh, some, some guests to kind of treat her as a trophy wife. She refused that. So he cast her out, made her homeless and poor. And, and he searched for his new wife. And it, long story short, is going to be this young uh, Jewish woman from the nation of Israel named Esther, who was raised by her cousin Mordecai. He was her cousin, but raised her kind of as him being the father, she being the daughter, and, and she becomes queen. And Mordecai encourages her not to tell the king who she is because it might get her into trouble. So anyway, later she's going to have a chance to be brave and to step up for her people who have been sentenced to death and, and to intercede on their behalf. And, and do these powerful things. And Esther is this awesome hero of the faith. And she just does everything that God asks of her, even though the name God doesn't appear in the book of Esther. It almost didn't make the Bible because of that. But God is all over the book if we look carefully enough. And, and the key phrase Mordecai says to Esther is, Esther, who knows but that you've become queen for such a time as this to save your people. And that, that's kind of the big scope of the book of Esther that we read. We watched in the, in the video here. But today our focus is going to be uh, on a character named Haman who was second in command under Xerxes, this Persian ruler, because Haman is full of a lot of hate. And Haman loves for people to, to bow down to him. He's been made the second in command. But Esther's cousin Mordecai refuses to do that, and he simply cannot deal with it. So let's pick up the story of Esther today. If you've got your Bibles with you or, or your tablets or, or your apps on your phones, we're going to be in Esther beginning in chapter 3, Esther in the Old Testament. And this is, is where we get going. King Xerxes honored Haman. Son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. So he's kind of like the second guy in all of the kingdom. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. Right? This is the second in command. You guys should show him honor. You need to bow down before him. But Mordecai, again, Esther's cousin, raised her like a daughter, would not kneel down. Or pay him honor. Then the other royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. This guy just won't give in. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. You gonna put up with this guy defying you? For he had told them he was a Jew. So not only is he disobeying and not bowing down, but evidently these guys and possibly Haman, they have some kind of a grudge against Jewish people. So it's kind of a double whammy for Mordecai. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, oh, the Jewish people, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. 
Now, in the scripture, in the original Hebrew and the English translation, it nowhere says that Haman hated Mordecai. But what Haman did was uh, he went to the king and he said uh, what was going on and uh, about the Jewish people and he made up all this stuff. And so long story short, he gets the king Xerxes to declare that on a certain day in the future uh, that everybody in the kingdom of Persia can kill all the Jews that they want. Right? So it puts a death sentence on all the Jewish people. Everybody knows that it's coming. So it doesn't say the word hate that Haman hated Mordecai. But let's think about that. He now has issued the death warrant, not only for Mordecai, but for every Jewish person living in this kingdom ruled by Xerxes. If that's not hatred, I don't know what is. So Haman has this extreme hatred for one, an individual, but two, for an entire group of people who are the same uh, Jewish folks as the one individual Mordecai. If that's not hatred, I don't know what is. So, you know, when we think about hatred, why, why is it that we, we hate people? Why do, why do we have hatred in the world? I think in this case, Haman hated Mordecai because he was different, right? These Jewish people are different than us, so there's something different. I'm going to hate them. He hated Mordecai because he couldn't control him. Mordecai wouldn't bow down before him, so he couldn't control him. So I think sometimes we hate people who are different than us. I think we hate people that we can't control. I think part of it is we, we hate people who do wrong to us. I think Haman probably felt that Mordecai was doing wrong to his reputation, and so that's another reason that he hated. I think sometimes we hate people when we feel threatened by them. Whether that's, a, you know, we feel physically threatened by them or maybe they're going to take away our jobs or take away our, 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 our girlfriends or take away uh, our, our fame or whatever it is, take away our position or our comfort. And so sometimes we feel threatened. I think sometimes uh, we hate people because we're afraid. We're afraid of them. And, you know, the great philosopher from Star Wars, Yoda, the little green guy, says that uh, fear leads to anger. We get angry at the things that we're scared of, and then anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And so sometimes we hate because we're afraid. I think sometimes we also hate because we're jealous. I think that's a lot of the hatred that we see going on on social media is that, that we hate people who seem to have it better than we do. They make more money. They live in bigger, nicer houses. They have better jobs. Uh, their kids are doing better than our kids. They're better looking. They're more famous. They have more power. Their team's better than our team. And so a lot of times we hate because we're jealous. And sometimes I think that we hate others because really we hate ourselves. And we take the, the self-loathing, the self-hatred that we, we have upon ourselves that we don't always understand, and we project it onto other people who may have not done anything at all to deserve it. But we're just so upset with who we are in our life that we've got to take it out on somebody, and so we, we throw it on the first person that comes. Or well, there's something about ourselves that we hate and we're so embarrassed and ashamed by it. When we see that characteristic in somebody else, we really hate them because it's easier to hate somebody outside of ourselves for something that we hate that we see within ourselves. And so we pretend like it's not inside of us, it's in somebody else and it's easier to hate them. So those are just a few reasons I think that we have hatred. And there's probably more. 
But I'm guessing that some of us here today walked in the room, we're sitting here right now, and, and we've got some serious stewing of hatred inside of us. And maybe it's for our boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's for somebody in our family, maybe it's somebody in the neighborhood, maybe it's somebody we see on television and they, we just totally disagree with them. Maybe it's somebody who wrote something about us on social media. Maybe it's another church member, maybe it's me. I don't know, but I'm guessing some of us came here today and there's just something deep down within us, this rage, this hatred for somebody or something that's eating us up inside. And that's exactly what's happening with Haman. So Esther goes and she gets bold and, and she pleads on behalf of her people for the king to save them. And, and, and he receives her and it's, it's this powerful scene. And, and then she sets up this banquet to where she's going to reveal to the king that it's Haman who set all of this up and she wants him punished and, and all that kind of stuff. And so she's pretty slick and she invites Haman to this banquet, making him think it's going to be this special thing to honor him and, and all this stuff. So Haman's on cloud nine. Uh, and, he, and, he's, and he's getting ready to go home and celebrate with his wife and his family that he's just gotten this invitation. So let's jump back into Esther chapter 5 and see what happens with Haman and with Mordecai. So Esther 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. So Haman's on top of the world, and here Mordecai is, raining on his parade again, so it just stirs up all the feelings of hatred all over again. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, and he went home. And calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth. I am so rich. And his many sons. I have many sons. And all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. I am the second most powerful, important man in all of the kingdom. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. So from Haman's perspective and from the, everybody in his society's perspective, he is on top of the world. He has everything. He has family. He has friends. He has wealth. He has power. He has authority. He has fame. He, he's got it all. In this next verse is like a very haunting verse to me personally because I think this is where hatred really comes in and messes with us. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Haman has the whole world. Money, power, fame, fortune, standing, family, love, children, all of it. He has it all, but he says, none of that means anything because Haman won't bow down to me and I just hate that guy. I don't know about you, but in my life when I'm finding that I hate people or hate something, I get so obsessed with it. I give it so much power over my life that all the good stuff, all the great things God has given me don't mean anything because I'm so focused on the hatred. And that's exactly what Haman's done. So he goes to that banquet the next day. Esther calls him out for being the one who has set up the death sentence for all her people and for Mordecai. The king 
hears about it. He understands what's going on. He gets so mad uh, that he decides to kill Haman. And Haman had come to the party hoping to get Mordecai killed. And he'd build this gallows to hang Mordecai on, but the tables were turned. And so now Haman is killed on his own thing that he'd set up to kill Mordecai with. Not only that, the king brings his 10 sons in and he kills them. He impales them on poles, a very torturous way to die. So now Haman's dead. His 10 kids are dead. The king is now protecting all the Jewish people around the kingdom. Uh, Haman's wife is a widow. uh, And we're did it get Haman? At the end, it destroyed him. It destroyed his family, but, but he was destroyed before any of that happened. He was destroyed the moment he gave power to Mordecai through that hatred and just focusing so much on, on Mordecai, not bowing down to him that he just ignored all the good things that were happening in his life. Right? So what does this mean for us? So what's the big idea? And again, we can, we can take away the, the Esther moment of, you know, you're in this position for such a time as this to save your people. And I certainly don't want to take away from Esther. And that, that's a powerful moment. And, but as our focus days, we're thinking about hatred. I think this is it. I think our hatred ultimately destroys us. Our own hatred ultimately destroys us. And that's exactly what happened to Haman. It got him killed. It got his family killed. So our own hatred not only ultimately will destroy us, it's going to destroy the people that we care about in our lives. But remember, Haman's life was destroyed before he even was killed. His life was destroyed when he chose to hate Mordecai more than anything else in all the world. He ignored all the great things in his life. Our own hatred ultimately destroys us. Can you say that with me? Our own hatred ultimately destroys us. And I think about that, like in my life, for, for people that, you know, I, either, either I've, I literally have hated or I've gotten to the point that I was going down that direction, how that ultimately just did bad things to me in my own heart. And I've seen that, you know, when someone's like messed with my kids when they shouldn't have done that. And I just, you know, I just harbor those those negative feelings and I can't wait for the confrontation and to and to get into it with them. And just, you know, you're not going to do that to my child. And or when I was younger and, you know, someone I was dating who I was in love with broke up with me. And, you know, just how dare you reject me? And you you can go from loving someone one moment to hating their guts the next moment and just focusing on why did you break up with me? And I just want the worst for you in your life. And you know, to, you know, ashamedly ashamed to have to admit that sometimes in my ministry that, you know, I've, I've been on the verge of hating church members and nobody in this room. Okay. So you guys are good, but you know, that just, you know, for whatever reason, we, we don't see eye to eye, just, you know, obsessed with, you know, thinking about them and, you know, how I can get my way and all this stuff. And just, you know, so much time and energy focused on them, draining me, just this negative stuff, ignoring all the good things going on in my life. And at the same time, the people that I'm obsessed with probably haven't given me a second thought. And I've given them power over my life to where they, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing my joy and my peace from God to be robbed from me because of whatever it is that I'm focused on. Do you know what that's like? Right? Ultimately, you know, our own, our own hatred ultimately will destroy us. So now what do we do about it? Now I'm going to piggyback off the song, Hater's Gonna Hate. Right? Hater's gonna hate, but I'm not. Hater's gonna hate. They're gonna hate. There are going to be lots of people who are going to hate, but I'm not. 
I'm just not going to go there because it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to my family. It's not worth it to God. And, and there's going to be moments of hate, but I'm not going to become a hater because that's not the life that I want to live. I don't want to become a Haman in life. And so haters going to hate, but I'm not. And so I, I want to give us three things to think about, practical things to think about to where it will prevent us from becoming a hater and being obsessed with hate in our lives. Just like so many people that we see just are miserable in our lives. Three things that we can do. And I think the first thing that we can do is recognize hatred when we feel it. It's an emotion, right? Say, so, you know what? I'm experiencing this. I just got to get it out there. And, 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 to, and to try to figure out why am I feeling this way? Have I been wronged? You know, have, have I really got, you know, a case against somebody who's done something wrong against me? Am I jealous? Is this some kind of inner self-hatred that I'm projecting onto someone else? Uh, is it because I didn't get my way? They're not doing what I want them to do. Do I feel threatened? If I do feel threatened, why is that? You know, self-awareness is one of the greatest gifts that we have in the world, but it's so hard to achieve that. And so to, to wrestle with, okay, I'm feeling some hatred here. Recognize that. Let's just get it on the table and try to figure out why it is that I'm feeling this way. Okay. So, okay. So I've got some hatred. I'm dealing with hatred. I'm a normal person. It happens to us. It happens to the best of us, right? We feel hatred. Second thing is, well, we got to find a way to deal with it. And maybe the, the, the best thing we need to do is to go and confront the person that we have an issue with in a Christian manner, right? The Bible gives us all kinds of examples of this. I'll be glad to sit down with you and help walk you through this. But if it's somebody, maybe it's just a confrontation to say, hey, look, what's going on? This is what I'm feeling. What's going on with you? Let's deal with this. Or maybe it's just we need to vent about it. We need to get it out of our system. I'm so upset right now. And so to talk to a friend or a family member or a counselor, just to, you know, talk to God, Lord, I need you to help me deal with this hatred in my heart because I don't want it to be here. Maybe it's what well, we have to remove ourselves from a situation. Maybe we do need to, to find counseling. Maybe we need to stand up to something that is completely unjust and, and immoral and, and, and try to make things just and right, but not to get vengeance, right? There's, there's a difference there. So some way, somehow, and it's got to involve God, I'm guessing, I can't do this by myself, is, okay, we recognize it. I've got hatred. Why do I have hatred? Okay, I've got to deal with the hatred. And ultimately, I think the third thing that God calls us to do is to let it go and not give it power anymore, not, not let it control us like it controlled Haman, not let it ruin the rest of our lives. And, 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 and God gives us some, some helpful advice. In Matthew's gospel, I want to read to you from the New Testament something that Jesus said. And I think this is powerful, but it's hard to hear. It's a hard thing to hear from Jesus. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what we're talking about, hating people, hating our enemies. But Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Seriously, Jesus, you want us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Jesus says that you may be children of your Father in heaven, right? To love our enemies doesn't mean that we have warm, fuzzy feelings for them, but it means that we treat them as, as a Christian would treat someone else. We speak the truth in love, right? And ultimately what it means is that we're going to have to forgive our enemies. We're going to have to forgive the people who we hate, who have wronged us, even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't ask for it, even when they don't get what's coming to them, we need to forgive them and to let it go because that's what Jesus does for all of us. He forgives us when we don't deserve it, when we don't get what we deserve sometimes. 
He, he forgives us even though sometimes we don't ask for it, right? Man, God asks us to let it go, not just for the good of the other person, but I think it's a great gift to ourselves that, that God asks us to forgive and to love enemies so that we don't become haters like Haman and ruin our entire lives. And just imagine if, if we started doing this to say, you know what, people are going to hate, haters are going to hate, but I'm not going to do that. Just think of, of, the, of the difference in our lives, how much more joy we could have in our lives, how much less obsessed we would be over, over the, the one person that we hate and, and we can enjoy all the great things God has done for us in our lives. Just imagine the peace of mind and, and, and how we might interact with each other. It might be a, a better place and there might be less stuff on social media or in replies to comments on newspaper articles or whatever. It might be a better place to live. Because here's what I think. I don't think that Jesus came into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life so that we could hate people. Right? He did that so that we could have life to the full. And I don't think that life to the full for Jesus means life that's full of hatred and holding grudges. I really don't think that's why Jesus died on a cross. I really don't think it's why he came back to life so that we can have lives that are full of obsessions, of hating someone and holding a grudge and ignoring all the great things that are going on in the world, giving power to hatred rather than to all the great things that God has in store for us. Could you just imagine if we let that stuff go, how much better our lives would be and that we might really tap into this life to the full that Jesus is talking about? Our own hatred ultimately will destroy us unless we ask God for help. Haters are going to hate, but we don't have to. Right? Jesus didn't come to live and to die and to come back to life so that our lives can be full of hatred and grudges. He came to give us life to the full that's full of joy and peace and happiness. Haters going to hate. But we don't have to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.